0: Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here as always and of course we're here to talk all things Aston Villa Football Club with a 1-0 away win away at Southampton. Of course, I mean what is that three wins on the balance away from home which hasn't happened since like November 2020 or something like that regardless it's it's nice to see if you want to look back to further when we've won more games consistently on the road it's probably been even longer more depressing and we don't really need to go down that road but anyways it's not just me today we do have mr sebastian bacon as well so seb how's it going for you
1: it's always nice to um join you on these after a win it makes our life a lot easier and a lot more enjoyable Yeah, I'd have to say it's almost kind of weird chatting with
0: just you. I can't remember the last time we've done just the podcast together. It probably hasn't been that long. And for most listeners, of course, you either hear me or Seb's voice um, during the week. For most of it, you'd have to say, or for all of it as host, I actually have to say. I can't remember anyone else hosting for the life of me. But regardless, we're going to chat through the win away at St. Mary's, kind of look at uh, the table ahead, of course, because we're out of the next round of the Cup. So Villa don't play until february 4th against leicester so um there'll be a bit of a lull there and uh, yeah we'll just kind of go through the game and a few other things general uh villa chatter as per usual and see how long we can take up uh, people's work days and fill it with more nonsense because of course if you're listening to this you might be working on a monday tuesday whatever whenever you are listening to this and thinking how can i make my day a little bit better well, it's by listening to us, of course. Um, I only say that jokingly because I don't have that much confidence in myself. But anyways, let's get over to some of the match stats. Of course, the most important one um, being the goal, Ollie Watkins, almost said Wally Watkins there. Ollie Watkins scoring in the 77th minute, thanks to a Dougie Louise, beautiful free kick, well-placed and nice little header into the right-hand side of the goal, getting down to the match stats in particular. Of course, which is a talking point in itself and pleasing to see Villa actually leading in possession very comfortably and winning 64% possession to Villa 36 to Southampton, 16 shots, eight to Southampton. Uh, each side had five on target. We had two corners to their two as well. They had 19 fouls to our nine, which is really nice to see the foul count for Villa going down as well. Cause it shows we're doing something effective. We have the ball. They're getting frustrated. And of course, that's one of the reasons why we did score. So Seb, just to throw it to you, what were your kind of general thoughts on the game? Because I mean, we all know that since Unai Emery's come in, it's been massively impressive. We're just on an absolute tear as of late. It hasn't been beautiful to watch at times, I'd have to say. Maybe a few more goals would be nice. It hasn't been always the most easy and comforting to watch. But when is it watching Villa, of course? But how did you find this one?
1: I love the little tangents you go off on honestly, I could sit and listen to them all day.
0: <laughs> oh, you sweetheart you <laughs>
1: <laughs> normally, it's only Simon that flirts with me, so this will take a bit of getting used to <laughs> <laughs> I've forgotten the question question uh villa goal <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i I remember filming the preview in midweek um and you know Southampton won on a roll, I think we did a um Alive on on Twitter as well and everyone seemed really confident and I was trying really hard not to bring the mood down by saying that I wasn't as confident and I didn't think it would be as much of a walkover as maybe other people expected. Um, Southampton had won three in a row beating Man City in the cup and also putting three points past their relegation rivals Everton so they, they were on top of the world. <laughs> I said at the time it's probably the worst time to play Southampton we could have possibly had all season in typical Villa fashion we go to bottom of the league when they are absolutely rocking um so I think to get three points was absolutely crucial and you're right it wasn't pretty in fact it was very very ugly um you know it, it was awful and I think a lot of people thought that we were heading towards a draw um you know it was about whether we could whether we could find that clinical edge and put one past them because, you know, they were, they were a tough outfit to break down. Um, They were tight. They were compact. They were conceding shots, but it never really looked like we'd score. So um, for Ollie Watkins to put one in the back of the net and silence some of the um, critics that he's had recently was very satisfying indeed. But these are the games that we have to win to get to where we aspire to be. You know, there is a lot of talk about Villa's aims and, high ambitions and to do that these are the games that we have to win i don't care how we win i don't care what the scoreline is but if we win that is the most important thing and that's the sort of thing that unai Emory we brings to the club um you know a manager with such tactical nous um and intelligence of in game scenarios and situations brings that added confidence to the players and it brings that extra killer edge when you really, really need it. Because we did need it on Saturday. Um, you know, it, the tide could have definitely turned and momentum could have certainly gone another way had had some big decisions uh, gone against us instead of in our favour. But I think all in all, the three points were probably deserved. Um, and it again, it just continues that platform for Unai Emery to build on. We're now... Three games in to our four-game, I remember sitting here and saying, look, we've got four teams now that arguably, on paper, we should be beating Wolves, Leeds, Southampton and Leicester, all down the bottom, all scrapping for any points that they can get. And I I remember sitting here and and saying, Unai Emery struggles most against low-block teams. He struggles to break teams down that will sit on the edge of their box and defend for their lives. So we will learn a lot more about Unai Emery and his capabilities after this four game run and three games in and we're unbeaten in this run, two wins and a draw with Leicester, a week's break in between as well. So um, he, he just keeps exceeding every single expectation I have of him. And I'm absolutely in love with that man and may the good times continue with him. Well, I mean, as Tom
0: has always said, um, Stephen Jard's greatest contribution as Villa manager was going to Bubakar Kamara's house and convincing him to join Villa. I stand by that. It's almost comical in a way when you think about, of course, the start of the season, going all the way back there and thinking about that. I mean, the, the aim probably within the camp with ownership would have been finishing in the top half. And, of course, the way things went, the way it was going in October – I would would be on the floor laughing if anyone ever told me that we would be where we are right now come what, recording on January 22nd, 2023. We would be, what, five points off of fifth. Um, It's almost odd, Seb, to think that realistically that top half objective is more than achievable within less than 10 games for Unai Emery in the Premier League as Villa boss. The fact that of course and i've said this numerous times and of course the other guys have as well just the small changes whether it be the tactical side the mental side just a little bit more game management a little different nuances kind of around it it's we've seen villa win 1-0 before and it has been pretty but and let me know what you think about this here in a second before i before i go on this tangent too long that probably starts not making too much sense but in a weird way Villa are winning ugly in some circumstances, but it looks more much more comfortable than it ever did before. I can think the amount of clean sheets we kept under Dean Smith in the behind and closed door season. And of course there were some comfortable wins there, but a lot of them, some of them you'd have to say too, were just kind of scraping by. I think of the the one nil against Wolves, of course, with the penalty and the dying minutes. Um, I mean, you could probably go through that season and pick out a bunch and a lot of them never really felt comfortable, but there's, Almost that, I don't know, pleasing and satisfying nature to the way that Unai Emery has these guys playing that you you just know that they can actually hold out for once. Do you get that
1: as well? I mean, I completely agree. And I look at the reasons. First of all, you mentioned lockdown and, you know, one of the games that was really similar to Southampton was actually Southampton away under Dean Smith in lockdown. We won 1-0 thanks to a Ross Barkley Goal, and I remember that being really uncomfortable as well. You know, defending for our lives. I think Danny Ings even scored in the last few minutes, but um, it got ruled out by VAR for offside. So there's loads of similarities, but you you can also notice an improvement within those similarities. And it, it sounds stupid to say, but there's so many little minute details that Unai Emery has come in and adjusted that have made. The world of difference, for example, playing Douglas Louise in his natural role has completely transformed our midfield. And I mean, completely tra- the midfield of Douglas Louise and Kamara. I could talk all day about my love for Kamara, about how he is everything this club has been waiting for, and how he genuinely is one of the best sixes in the league, in my opinion. Um, again, minute details the back four going to a back five when we need to protect a lead, you know, bringing Leon Bailey off and bringing Matty Cash on was a really, really smart substitution yesterday because we were under the cosh and they'd just brought Elianusi on, if I'm not mistaken. So they were getting a lot of joy down their left and right-hand side. So bring another full-back on, you know, it was genius. I think Jacob Ramsey was playing left-back at times with uh, Alex Moreno almost tucking into a back three of moreno mings and concert so yeah you know you notice how well prepared we are for these situations and that's that's genuinely something we couldn't say that long ago under gerard if we went one a lot it would almost feel like we weren't prepared and we'd you know have to come up with something on the spot to be able to see a lead out so i i mean look you, you mentioned the table and i'm really really trying not to get ahead of myself um I almost don't like looking at the table in fear that it will change, and my eyes are just deceiving me. There's still a lot of football to be played, so I'm. A lot of people will call me negative. A lot of people think I'm the mo- the more negative one on this podcast, but I I I just don't want to get ahead of myself because with Aston Villa it, it normally ends in pain. I mean, it's pretty viewing, um, and you know I'm I'm not complaining at all, but I yeah. A lot of football still to be played. I was looking at a stat when Gerard came in, and people were saying, "Oh, Gerard! Gerard has a fifty percent win percentage now. Like we're we're on the up. Things have changed." And people forget that Gerard did actually have a really good reign in his first few games as boss before before it for some reason went downhill. You know, he had that new manager bounce, and there is a talk of a new manager bounce under Emory, But I I can't see it ending anytime soon and that's the famous last words and and touch wood as i am here at the moment but he he has that tactical nous about him to be able to prepare for each game individually and know exactly what to expect it seems as though nothing will be able to take villa by surprise if that makes sense
0: well yeah like a lot of people will mention a new manager bounce i mean at this point i i think we're past the the managerial bounce point, and it's just reality that i mean you look at when he was at psg and arsenal and the the stature of those clubs and where they want to be and then you look at how well he does with villa and getting them into to win trophies that they probably can only never imagine and compete in the champions league and etc etc cetera. Et cetera. Villa are his kind of club. He can literally take over every facet that he wants to. Of course, there's been talk with um, another kind of sporting director or something kind of coming in um, alongside the current management um, team that we currently have to kind of help out there. Of course, every transfer is not going to be kind of processed until it's approved by the manager as well. There's all these different things. And I think that's really important when you're looking at, I mean, hell, we still have a Steve Bruce player with, under, with John McGinn. We have Dean Smith players here, of course, with a lot of them you'd have to say um, under um, the promotion season now being basically told that they can go. Uh, of course we have Steven Gerrard players and now we have Una Emery players. Um, it's, I, I think there was a massive concern and I never thought it was going to turn into an Everton situation where you have five, six, seven, eight managers and you have all these players from all those different reigns. But, it's, it was starting to get messy. And the fact that you, you look at the bench and there's two goalkeepers and there is two um, youth players on the bench. I mean, that is concerning. But the one thing I will say, and we'll get more onto the game here in a moment. It's almost refreshing to me that, of course, this people's lives and having to leave the club may mean that they have to move countries and change all that kind of stuff, which can affect them personally. But the fact that, we basically as a football club come out and said to Nakamba you can look somewhere else Uh, of course um, Sanson seems to be the same even though it seems like Emery wants him to stay but knows he needs more game time to succeed kind of thing of course Frey Gilbert has already left as well and I mean the list kind of goes on and on and on um I'm almost shocked to see the moves and kind of the honesty that's already come out in terms of planning to get some of these players out in January. Because to be honest, I thought maybe we would ship one this month, and it seems like maybe we could even ship three to four. Of course, that then means we need to strengthen as well because we cannot go into the rest of the season with that bench. Because realistically, Ollie Watkins gets hurt, we're all gonna cry and complain and bitch and moan and wonder what the hell is gonna go on. But kind of spinning it back to the game set to go off of that tangent. Um, let's go into The goal, that wasn't a goal for for Southampton, of course. James Ward-Prowse's goal gets um, eliminated due to VAR with Jacob Ramsey getting a little boot to the um, Achilles and a shove to the back. I can see it both ways. It does look a little soft. If I was a Southampton fan, I'd feel very hard done by. But realistically, if that happens anywhere else on the pitch, they're going to call that a foul. So really, is there anything truly to complain about?
1: I mean, I completely agree, and I'm I'm trying to take my claret and blue tinted glasses off here, but I, I mean, yeah, it's a foul in the in the laws of the game. It's a foul if he doesn't rake his studs down the back of his ankle. Then Jacob Ramsey clears that ball, and we're away from danger. Um, I think it it can be misinterpreted on the first few looks because I I certainly looked at it at first and just thought it was a shove, which would have been soft. But then you see the ankles and you see him essentially trip him up, which I think a lot of people are missing. Again, if you're a Southampton fan, you're feeling aggrieved because you're down at the bottom, you're fighting for every point, and these can be the the deciding moments that go for or against you that can, you know, turn the tide in your season. If they go 1-0 up, that's that's massive for them and they po- they possibly hold out for the victory. But yeah, if you're asking me my opinion on it, in the laws of the game, it's a foul. So I don't think there can be much complaints.
0: Well, that too, Seb, you have to look at it from, I mean, I guess the laws of the game and the way people think that some fouls neutralize other. I mean, there are some pretty nasty fouls there yesterday from the Southampton point of view um, that could have probably done a little bit more. Of course, there was um, their goalkeeper coming out, um, I think, on Ramsey that, I mean, a few people have kind of questioned that are still arguing that, but realistically the one angle that I saw, the goalkeeper did get it Um, that I saw at least that's my opinion. Um it, it, It's hard in those search situa- situations, but there was others too. So, I mean, all in all, I guess you would have to say in, in the law and the odd atmosphere and universe is what I'm trying to figure out the word that I was saying with other words. that didn't make any sense of football. Um, Really, I, I guess everything balances out, doesn't it?
1: I mean, look, I'm no, I'm no footballing expert. Um, the 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 first Ramsey incident with Bazunu, I I think yeah, I my first glance at it was that Bazunu got enough of the ball to justify a penalty not being given. I think if it's given a set originally, I don't think it gets overturned. Um, you know, then we go into that hasty bracket of clear and obvious, was it clear and obvious error um from the referee and I don't think it was. I don't think there was enough in it to justify it being overturned. Um I'm trying not to use too many cliches here, but you you've seen them given and if it was Martinez and the referee had given a penalty, although I'd feel aggrieved, I'd be sitting here saying, well, he's given the ref a decision to make. And when you give a ref a decision to make in your own penalty area, then you, can, you can't you can really feel hard done by if he goes with a certain decision. So yeah, that one that one could have swung either way, but I think the referee did get it right on this occasion. I, don't, I know you haven't asked me about it, but I'm just going to touch on the second Ramsey incident. And I think that is a penalty. I've looked at it so many times and it's really weird to me because it seems as though he just swipes his ankles away. And then then, and then the Southampton defender, whose name escapes me, um, then goes and points at the ball, which has run past him as if he's got a touch on it. So, I, yeah, I, I think that one was a penalty and I think we were hard done by there. And I think that was enough to overturn it from VAR. I think that was a clear and obvious error, but luckily it hasn't come back to bite us, which is...
0: Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Since 2013, Bombus has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. things would have just not worked out and things are clicking now on multiple levels. And I mean, long may it continue the fact that we are a five, exactly 500 level football club in terms of eight wins, four draws, eight losses. It's nice to see that turn the goal differential positive. I'll be a very, very happy boy. Um, I did see one tweet here just to, kind of throw it in the the works here from, I think it was at um, Aston Zilla FC. Um, this is in regards to, of course, Unai Emery. A waveform has been corrected, like I've referenced at the very start of this podcast. Man United at home, of course, he's done that. And this dreaded third kit curse is now over. Unai Emery looks at that and he laughs in its face. The next, I'm hoping, being a trophy. But, I mean, Seb, when you look at things like not succeeding under a certain kit, especially the third kit. I feel like it it just honestly has been a curse from us for as long as I can really remember. I always think back to did we wear did we wear a third kit on the final day against West Ham? It was the green one, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that really does say it all. um <laughs> yeah, we don't need to get into that day again because I don't feel like having another um, mini heart attack, but do you think there was a true curse there or does it at least feel is, is there is there something within the Villa fandom that just makes us think we can't have certain things? And now we have Unai Emery who just makes the world think,
1: you know what, anything's possible with this Villa side. I mean, it's it's a good question. Um, And it is certainly something that was frustrating. A lot of people, the fact that we couldn't seem to get any luck with any of our third kits. Um, I think the last time we won in a third kit was Luke Roper, if I'm not mistaken. (laughs) But (laughs) look, I mean, yeah, I find it really funny, but um, he's still got that FA Cup third round curse to get ahead of first. Um, You know, the mighty Stevenage have caught him out on that one. So we'll have to wait till next season to see if that curse can be broken. But look, he he keeps defying odds. He keeps defying expectations. Long, Long may it continue. Do we know the last time that Ollie Watkins scored a header?
0: Because the to be honest, like Liverpool, I, I, okay, that's what I was thinking. It was either them or Arsenal behind closed doors, and I couldn't quite remember which
1: would have came after the other. Surely so, he scored. Surely he scored after closed doors. Closed doors was two seasons ago. Yeah, so in the seven-two, he scored
0: cutting in from the right, and then he scored a header yeah. and then a
1: left footed shot I think okay it was that's what it was but check. was that
0: before or after the Arsenal game where he beat them was it like two or three nil away I'm pretty sure he scored a header in that one because he cut in
1: no he, he scored a header Liverpool just gone in the two one defeat oh sorry I'm thinking behind closed doors you are correct you, yeah. you really confused me because I was thinking surely he hasn't gone two seasons without scoring see. I no, surely there's more than that hold on I I will I'm fully prepared to stop Recording this to go and have a look because I think he's at, I think he scores quite a lot of headers, doesn't he? Well, you go, you go
0: have a look. I'll, I'll keep talking so we don't have to stop anything. <laughs> um, but no, in go regards off on that, one of your tangents, I'll go off on one of them. I wish Tom was here because he would make it even longer. Um, but uh, no, like it's just it, it's a weird thing. I mean, you think of strikers and you think of most of them being able to head at home comfortably, it just feels like it's been a long time with Ollie Walkins, but I, I could be wrong. But regardless of that, um, let's go over to the three word reviews over on Twitter. Um, There's been a lot of love for that, of course, after another big win for the Villa. Um, I think there's over 100 so far, if I'm checking correctly. And if I can get this to actually refresh in time, which it's not going to, I don't think. Oh, there we go. 104 uh, to be exact as of time of recording. So thank you to everyone. You can tweet us at 7500 Holt. Um, to have your say on the game Um, just a heads up to the people that give me like a paragraph I don't read those out they're three-word reviews just abide by the rules and I'll try to get to yours of course these go out anywhere between five to 15 minutes post-match for the tweet Um, so it's just kind of nice to have your say it's great to see some of the interaction that um, you guys um, show each other and have some fun with it as well and some of the debate honestly is hilarious too so Keep it coming. Um, Let's go to... um, I'm going to butcher this last name, but uh, apologies to Tristan. Uh, Tristan Fonander, hopefully that's correct, um, saying we are coming. Um, Let's go to uh, Guy Poxon saying dominated 90% deserved. Um, JJ saying away day result. Jazz Singh uh, saying moving on up. A VillaFan.com podcast saying finding a way. Minnesota Lion saying thank you, VAR. Um, Let's scroll down here to Justin saying three points away. Uh, Simon Palmer, carry on Unai. Uh, Let's go to Dave Sterling, great for Ollie. Um, And let's do three more. Why not? I think it's Daylor or Dollar, sorry if I butchered that, at Roger98174125. <laughs> um, you can tell that was probably a, a, a computer generating that one. Um, Saying it's, I love Emory, And like I said, we'll do two more. Um, let's see here. Let's scroll down to the very bottom because I don't want to miss people in a certain section. Um, Trail Blazing Villain. Get Emery Strikers. And let's finish with um nick davis this is the ultimate way to have a little bit of positivity he says european tour incoming i think that's the best way to say that
1: seb i didn't tell you this pre-recording but i want th- your 3 road oh i hate you so much <laughs> I, oh, that, honestly and i simon and tom will back me up on this there is nothing nothing worse than giving a three word review, especially when it's on the spot. You shouldn't um, expect this by now. I mean this. Has I know I should, because it happens every week and I always forget about it. Mainly because I hate it so much. So I'm trying to put it to the back of my head and pretend as though it doesn't happen. Um although if you have if you do insist on putting me on the spot, my three word review is tricky win, deserved. I completely counteracted myself and that doesn't make any sense. But um yeah, I've explained why it was it was a tricky opponent, but in the end, we deserved to win it. So anyway, going back to my headers, so I found the statistics. Um, so the two previous headed goals um, behind closed doors, as mentioned, so it was Liverpool first and then Arsenal, and those were his last headed goals in lockdown. So then with fans back, so in a year and a half or a season and a half, he's only scored four headers. Uh, Newcastle at home in the first game back with fans where we oh, won yes. 2-0. Uh, That was a header. Then Burnley away in the 3-1 win. That was a header. And then Liverpool recently. And then Southampton just gone. So four in a season and a half. So not as many as I thought, actually. Well, there's been four of them.
0: And I, I think I saw some stat too where he's had something like... I might have this reversed because they don't have it in front of me. It's either three goals and two assists or two goals and three assists um, under Unai Emery or something like that so far. So if you're looking at his contributions... Um, it's definitely been more than valuable, um, which is important to say because, of course, losing Danny Ings, um, someone who, of course, did score goals, but to be fair, he scored basically in um, patches here and there. So maybe it didn't look as effective. Um, it's important to note that because our uh, striking department is a little shallow at the moment. If I was going to give it 300- go. let's oh, let's sorry, do him
1: justice. Sorry, I I want to do Ollie Watkins justice here. That's Assist. Fine. For Man United in um, Emory's first game, goal versus Liverpool, assist versus Tottenham, and a goal versus Southampton. So four goals in his last six Premier League appearances. Oh, four. Okay. AVFC Stato, eat your heart out.
0: Yeah, well, he,
1: he is an absolute hero.
0: Um, and I thank him very much for every vital stat I need, because I go to his page in panic if I need something to say for this podcast. So, so
1: do I. <laughs> yeah,
0: so I, I think we need to give him some credit, at least in every podcast. And I feel like that's happened as of late. Start paying it, him a wage. Oh, there's not enough. Trust me. So um, <laughs> if I was going to say a three word review, I would say stay classy. Unai." That's all I could say. How there. long have you had that in your, in your notes for? Um, oh, I, I, as soon as I asked you, I knew it was coming back to me. So I started thinking of it. So I at least had what, probably three or four minutes since that's probably been a thing. Um, if so, so I get, I get away with it. I'm the one that edits it. So I have the power here and that's all that matters. But Seb, if you're going to give your man of the match slash match ball to anyone in particular in relation to Villa, who would it be?
1: It's, it's really tempting to give it to Wally Watkins. Um, obviously, scoring the winning goal always helps, but I, his hold-up play was really, really good. Um, you know, Most of our attacks went through him. He didn't have that many chances, but when it came to him, he took it, and that's probably a criticism that's come his way that he hasn't done that enough. It'd be quite easy to give it to Emi Martinez, two outstanding saves, but the problem is, you expect that from Emmy Martinez. He has that charisma. He has that ability. So you'd expect that. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go give it to Ollie Watkins. Match winner. Okay.
0: I'm going to give it to Emmy Martinez purely because I mean, you, you reference the saves, but the fact that he literally had the balls to run almost halfway up the pitch. I think what a couple times and take the ball from an incoming defender that could have led to a break on numerous occasions and just pass it pass it to a. Um, an incoming teammate with so much confidence is just something I live for every day. I didn't think he was actually that fast to be honest, considering how tall he is. So it's great to see we have a goalkeeper with some good distribution and confidence to come out of his goal as well. That only makes of course, Unai Emery's system even stronger when you're playing out from the back and things like that too. So let's be honest i'll screw up eventually it happens to every goalie it happens to the best of them so uh, let's not be too hard when it happens and remember moments um like this one but of course like i mentioned at the start of the podcast but now we don't play till february 4th against Leicester. we don't really have a crazy amount to talk about of course maybe one thing being transfers do you expect much to happen in the next was or there- nine days left or whatever it is at time of recording on the on the 22nd of January
1: do you think much will happen I think Fabrizio Romano said he expects two to three more um now you can't take anything as gospel when it comes to Aston Villa transfers until you see them holding up the shirt um those Guendouzi links won't go away the same with Moussa Dembele uh, I th- I think if we really wanted Dembele, then that would happen quite quickly just because of the low fee reported, um, you know, a chance to play to play in the Premier League again. I I can't see that one being too complicated unless wage demands were an issue. Guendouzi might be a little more complicated just trying to persuade him. Uh, to make the move because, you know, there's been a lot of reports that there hasn't been any contact or that he wouldn't particularly be too fond of a move. There's obviously that relationship with Unai Emery and I, I personally would really like him. Weston McKenney's another one. I don't actually think there's too much in that, mainly no. because that link's been around for years. Um, and then Unai Emery did mention a centre-back, but again, I, I can't see it. Um, If we get a striker and a midfielder in, if we were to go and get Dembele and Guendouzi, I would be delighted. And I think that would leave us in a relatively comfortable position for the rest of the season to achieve what we want to achieve. Any more would be a bonus. Um, Although I do think we need at least two because that bench didn't look great against Southampton. You never like having two keepers on the bench.
0: 100%. I think the thing too is it all depends what happens with Really, our loan signings. Of course, Eatson, I would assume goes back to Sevilla at some point. I don't know what's going to happen with Benderak, To be honest, I don't. I've heard things that um, Southampton might recall him, which would make sense. They're in a bit of a bother, <laughs> and they probably need as much depth as they can have right now as an option. And really, he's not playing for us. So if that's, that's a the weird case, one
1: for me, that's a really weird one because I would have thought that recall would have come quite soon in January if they wanted him back because they they've known the position that they're in for you know it's not a surprise that they're they're down the bottom of the table and they're leaking goals for fun so having that aerial ability if if that if I was Nathan Jones then um, he'd have been one of the ones straight back in
0: well I think that's the thing too though they might be looking at defenders from a Southampton perspective I don't know anything really Southampton wise what might be happening but I almost wonder if they're looking to bring in a center back on another loan or purchasing them outright and they're waiting to see if that happens if not bring bring Benerak back which I mean the first thing that'll happen if we do sign a center back this window that automatically tells me either Benerak's going back or Chambers is being sold that's one of the two um, who will be axed for the second time under Unai Emery very soon. I'm I'm almost sure of it. Um, aside from that, yeah, I would have to say you, you're still looking at probably um, either a, a striker or a winger that can play a little bit more further forward in the middle or an outright um, striker itself. The, the The ballet one's kind of interesting. And I was listening to the cleared and blue podcast earlier today and John Townley actually made a, a really good point. And this is how ridiculous the market is. What The fee for Dembele is roughly, they say, around $3 million because, of course, Leon want to make a bit of cash or they're going to lose him for nothing, which makes sense. If, if you're really not having that great of a season or whatever, I don't really know the whole circumstance in league right now. But, of course, I know those clubs don't have infinite cash or even nearly as much as the Premier League does. But in regards to that, you could literally sign him in January for $3 million. And then if things work out and go a little well, you could probably sell them again in the summer for like 10. And that's exactly yeah. what John said to reference them. And I, I think that's 100% correct. It's it's almost a weird one where you could sign a player and say, you know what, come in for six months, prove it. If not, we'll we'll, we'll ship you on and get you to where you maybe really want to go. And we'll also make a little bit of a cash flow as well. Like, I mean, there's so many, that's very Chelsea. If that was, if that was to ever be something to happen, but I, I doubt it's we very were Barcelona. Well, I think very Barcelona these days would be to sign someone that's well past it for like 90 million and hope that it works
1: out. Um, Well, I mean, Dwight York's available. He's just left his managerial position. So we could always get him back on a, on a player. player For a second,
0: I thought you were going to say Dwight Gale. I don't know why.
1: (laughs) That man still haunts me. That
0: man still haunts, I think, every Villa fan. But uh, regardless of that, there's going to be some movement and, uh, We'll be here to report on it either on here, of course, or on Twitter. Like I said, follow us at 7,500 to Holt, but I think we're going to wrap things up there. And as I say that before we do wrap things up, I just want to mention that for kind of planning ahead to let everyone know, uh, we're hoping to do something for the end of the window, a little bit of recap. I haven't decided if we're going to do a podcast for that, or we'll do it on Twitter spaces. Of course, what Seb mentioned earlier on the podcast, we did one, um, I think it was the day before Danning's got officially announced that he was going to West Ham, uh, had a very great reaction. had a few um, guests kind of join in or listeners, I should say, come in and speak with us. Um, Neil for for the love of Paul McGraw podcast jumped in as well as one of the co-hosts. And it was, like I said, just a great conversation. So we want to kind of get back to doing that a little bit more. So be uh, sure to follow us on Twitter for all that information. I think that's important to reference. If we do do it that way, we'll probably try to upload that recording onto here as a bonus, maybe a day or two after if I can get the file quick enough. Um, hopefully we'll have a Lester preview out um, before that game as well. But I just wanted to stress that too. And of course, and I don't do this enough, follow us on Spotify, of course uh a apple podcast wherever you a podcast leave a review um i'm hoping if we can get some more people following us on spotify and rating us on spotify maybe we'll do a little bit of a giveaway as well um i'll try to figure something out like that and announce it earlier on in the podcast for people that click on it right away and can hear that right away because i know not everyone listens to the very end but uh regardless of that so if you're still here i commend you yeah, well, there you go. You know what? We're we're great chatters, and that's all that matters. But Seb, thank you very much for joining me. You can find him on Twitter at SebastianBacon8. Follow me on Twitter at TalkAstonville. Like I said, tweet the team at 7500 to Holt. Email the podcast, Holtcast at gmail.com. Go click on the website, www.7500holt.com. These are a lot of things that I don't know how I remember, but regardless of that, we should be back within the next week or so with some more villa goodness. But, anyways, like I said, we'll leave it there. And don't forget uh, the villa.
1: We're going up.